you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis chapter 7. Genesis 7, as we go through the Bible looking at the great things that God does. You know, we've been looking at um, the story of Noah. And in Genesis 6, 8, it says, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. When the whole world had corrupted themselves, the Bible tells us there was one individual that hadn't, and God used him in a great way. Now, I want to share this with you, because again, I believe in this room today, we have a lot of Noahs, girl Noahs and boy Noahs. And here's why, because you may be the only person at your company that hasn't corrupted themselves. You may be the only person on your block that hasn't corrupted themselves. You may be the only person in your entire family that has still has an inclination to serve God. And so how does God, what will God do with a person that is sold out to him? Well, that's what we find in the Bible and how great God is, just as we just sang. So let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, we ask you that you would give us that wisdom that comes from you and that your word would come alive, not just ink on paper, but God, that your Holy Spirit that breathed these words, God, that these things would come alive in our heart and it would motivate us, God, to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So God spoke to Noah, told him to build a boat, told him to go for wood. I don't know what kind of go for wood was, but uh, he told him to go for wood and he did and he built an ark. Took him over a hundred years to do it. And you know what? You got this big boat there in this big, big plane. And then one day, all of a sudden, all these animals start showing up two by two, animals that you hadn't seen before. And what was weird is they were making a beeline for this big, giant boat. Now, again, the Bible tells us that Noah preached to his generation for 120 years. Now, what's amazing about that is how do he do that? Well, by the mere nature of building the boat, people, I'm sure he became the focus of ridicule, as I believe many of you are today for your statement of faith that you have in your home or at your job or wherever it might be. But the thing is, there was a standard there and this boat was being made. Now, here's the problem. All of a sudden, all these animals start showing up. And Noah told everybody that there was going to be something happening. And here's this big boat to prove it. But you know what I have found? People fail to interpret the data at hand. (laughs) You see all these animals and you would think, you know, that's something I don't think you see every day. That's a weird looking critter. And there's another one walking right alongside of it. And they're getting into this big boat. Now at this point, curiosity to me would cause a person to walk up and say, hey, what's going on here? But they didn't. Now, I think again, sin blinds people to the obvious. Sin blinds people to what's obvious. It's interesting, people get into lifestyles that are reckless, that are destructive. It is obvious that if you stay in that, it's going to hurt you. But because people are blind, they don't see, they don't interpret what they're looking at. This was the problem. All these animals start showing up. They all start getting in this big box that Noah built. And you would think that again, the whole world would begin to say, hey, what's going on here? But they didn't. And as we look at this here, in spite of all the things 
all, I believe, the criticism that Noah went through, here you find in the very last verse of chapter 6, but Noah did according to all that God commanded him, and so he did. The Bible says that um, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And because we're faithful to God, there's an obedience that follows. In other words, I want to do what God wants me to do. Why? Because though I may not understand everything that God tells me, God wants me to do it. Well, notice verse 1 of chapter 7, some new ground. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now, notice it says, don't go into the ark. He says, come into the ark. Always remember, God will never send you somewhere where he isn't already. I like that. In other words, God just doesn't say, well, go out there and figure it out. God says, come into the ark. I'm already here. Come on in. And you shall take with you seven of each, every clean animal, male and female, two of every animal that are unclean, male and, and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days, 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. Here again, we find, just as we found in verse 22 of the uh, preceding chapter, now we find it again in verse 5, Noah did what God said to do. You're never going to lose doing what God tells you to do. Because God knows tomorrow better than you remember yesterday. So there's that faithfulness that God honors. Noah was 600 years old when the floods of the water came on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of the clean birds, the birds of the air, the unclean, the birds, every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark, Noah, male and female, as God has commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days, the waters of the flood were on the earth. Now this is weird again, because you have all these animals getting on the ark. Now you would think, again, people would say, that's really weird. I don't ever remember that happening before. This kooky dude has been building this boat for a hundred years, and now all these animals are getting on this boat. Something is really weird. But you know, again, the old saying goes, the only bad question is a question that's never asked. You know, I would be curious to see why are these animals getting on the boat? And I believe today there's a lot of things like the animals getting on the boat that we as Christians are mindful of, but people of the world don't see it. I don't know if you've heard much about this coronavirus that's around. Yes, it's right next to San Bernardino. No, I'm kidding. The coronavirus is a mutated virus that is killing literally hundreds of thousands of people. Almost every reliable source says the facts and numbers coming out of China should be at least multiplied anywhere between 10 and 20 times. So in other words, if they say that there's 50,000 people who have been infected, you can, you, can double, you can multiply it by 10 to 20 times. 
They said this has the potential to be a global pandemic. The SARS virus that came out in the early 2000s, I looked at a graph and the graph showed it kind of, you know, going along, you know, you have this graph like this and the graph was kind of going along, SARS was increasing and then it kind of died out. When, when, you, go to the, when you go to the coronavirus, it starts off and it goes right off the chart and it isn't even at the end of the chart, it's gone. That's how how aggressive this virus is. Now, friends, this isn't just, well, you get a bad cold. It says that this virus actually devours your organs inside of you. Now, not at the level of perhaps Ebola, but nevertheless, very lethal. And this is a real problem. Now, we know, again, Jesus spoke of the days right before this that we're reading about. As in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. This is in Matthew 24, Luke 21. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage, not a care in the world, and Noah entered the ark. And then the judgment of God came. Now again, God will only let this world get, friends, so wicked. I shared this before, but I don't know if you ever had the fortunate, or maybe I should say the unfortunate thing of rummaging through movies on these different movie channels and whatever. But the Bible says that violence was in the heart of man continually. And if you look at what motivates uh, uh, the Hollywood set, it's violence. They say a lot of kids today, and I'm speaking about those under 20 years old, have a very hard time watching the old 40s and 50 movies. I've shared this before, like it's a wonderful life or, um, you know, uh, Casablanca or something, because the storyline moves so slow. There's not a police car blowing up every three minutes. There isn't somebody mowing everybody down. There isn't a, a, a major event every few seconds. It cannot hold the attention span of the younger generation. Well, here's the problem. When people only feed on violence, and we know the computer was designed after our own mind and thought processes, garbage in, garbage out. Friends, if a society feeds on nothing but wickedness and violence and immorality, what, what's going to be the result of that? Monkey see, monkey do. Well, here's the problem. God judged societies and the world for that kind of behavior. As in the days of Noah were, Jesus said, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. That's what we're reading about here this morning. And the problem is that just as people in those days in the days of Noah, couldn't really discern what they were in. They were seeing things, but they couldn't understand what it is. I believe it's the exact same thing right now. Again, this coronavirus is not something that they have seen before at this aggressive level. I don't know, I should probably share this with you, but we were even contacted this week by the American Red Cross about transforming our building here into something that they have in their mind. Uh, they've contacted a lot of places like this because of what they fear could be on the horizon. 
Well, when we realize how serious this kind of a problem is, when we realize that people are nonchalantly looking at evidence but can't interpret it, I wonder again how close we really are. This is why I tell everyone, work for the night is coming when no one can work. We need to be about our father's business. Now, this flood, when we go back here, and it says in the 600th year, verse 11, of Noah's life in the second month of the 17th day of the month on the day the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. This was in 1656 on the Hebrew calendar. It's weird. It goes into this kind of identifier to let us know when this event happened. So from creation, 1656, 1656 years, man had so corrupted himself that God had to bring a judgment and basically start over. That's pretty crazy when you really think about it for a minute. And the Bible here says, the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of them entered the ark, every beast after its kind, all cattle, their kind, every creepy thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird of its kind, and every bird of its sort went into the ark to Noah, two by two, all flesh that has breath of life. And so they entered the ark, male and female, of the flesh which was God had made and commanded him, saying, and the Lord shut them in. Wow. Now it says that they had entered the ark seven days before the flood came. So here's all these animals coming in, the door of the ark open, all these animals that people never seen before are getting on this boat. The door is open, seven day, you know, Noah moves out of his house and they move into the ark and the door is open. People walking by go, that's weird. Something you don't see every day. Seven days, anybody could have walked into the ark and got on the boat. Anybody. The door was wide open. And then notice it says here, the Lord shut him in. This word in the Hebrew means sealed in. God sealed the door shut. Seven days and the period of grace was done. Wow. Have you ever thought about that for a minute that One of these days, the Lord's going to take his church home and the age of grace is going to end. And then it's by death you're saved. The Bible tells us of the great martyrdom that transpires during uh, the book of Revelation, starting in chapter six and subsequent chapters afterwards about this great persecution that comes upon those that love God on this earth. Why? Because there's a rival religion. I don't know if it's maybe coupled with, um, you know, global warming with all the religions of the world homogenized together, but the Bible says there's going to be a world religion. And as as, um, John Lennon said, and the world will be as one. But the problem is it's one, but it's not a good one. It's a bad one. 
The Bible tells us what this world is like. In fact, when you get to Revelation chapter 16, unless those days were shortened, there'd be no flesh saved. In other words, most likely the tribulation period would have went on much longer than seven years, but because of God's grace, he cut it short and moved it back to only seven years. Why is that? Well, you have the Antichrist running wild, creating a world religion, homogenizes all the religions of the world. Chrislam, and you know, you have all the coexist, as you see the bumper stickers sometimes. And you have all these religions working together. But then the Antichrist does something really unusual. Three and a half years into his homogenizing the world, the world will be as one. He goes into the temple in Jerusalem, Israel, that's not built yet, but Revelation chapter 11 clearly says there's going to be a third temple for the Jewish people built. And he goes into the temple three and a half years into the tribulation and he declares to the world that he's God. The very Chrislam religious system, homogenizing all the religions of the world together. He then scraps and he says, no, no more. You now worship me, the Antichrist says. Wow. The Jewish eyes are open. They go, we've been duped. We thought he was our friend. For three and a half years, the people of Israel thought the Antichrist was their Messiah. Their eyes are open. They go, this guy's a fake, man. We've been fooled. Jesus said, run for the hills because he said the, the, the wrath of the Antichrist is going to come on the earth and come on the Jewish people in a very pointed way. He said, don't even go back in, Jesus said in Matthew 24, to get your coat. Just run for the hills. The Antichrist retribution to the Jews rejecting him is so severe, so pointed, that he focuses all of his wrath on them. The Bible says that God supernaturally intervenes for the people of Israel running from the Antichrist. But nevertheless, you have this battle going on. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I believe that we're there right now. I believe the next great event on God's calendar is one of two things. I believe we might be here to see the battle of Ezekiel 38, 39, where Russia coupled with the Arab neighbors comes against Israel. The Bible says it'll be in the last days. God fights for Israel. Five sixths of this invading army is wiped out. It takes them seven months to bury the dead. That's how big the devastation is. The Bible tells us that they're going to be burning the weapons for seven years. The cachet is so big of what they get. And then the Bible tells us that, that um, there's going to be a, a, a caught up. And this is what I believe all of us as Christians should be looking for. You know, people say, well, who's the Antichrist? Who's the Antichrist? Who's... I'm not looking for the Antichrist, friends. I'm looking for Jesus. I, I believe he's going to come, split the clouds, and we're out of here. That's some good news. Then once the church is gone, the identifier, you that are filled with God's wisdom, some guy shows up on the world scene and he's starting to have all the answers for all the problems, the ecological problems, the food problems, whatever. And the world says, this is our Messiah. The Jewish nation says, initially, this is our Messiah. 
And the world goes after this guy and they, they follow after him. And they say, who is able to make war with him? He, he's perfect, finally. A politician that makes sense. That'd be a novel concept, wouldn't it? Anyway, I don't think the Antichrist is going to come on the world scene as some wild-eyed demoniac, even though he's possessed. I believe he's going to come on the world scene as a very, very level-headed, charming individual that woos the heart of the world. And the Bible tells us that before he comes on the world scene, God takes his church out of here. Why is that? Because he'd never be able to come on the world scene with you here. You have some guy that comes on with sparkly white teeth, looks just like what you always think the Messiah would look like, and he's doing all these things. You wouldn't say, oh, there's the Christ. The church is going to say, there's the Antichrist. There's too many Christians that will identify the Antichrist for who he is. But once the church is gone, the Bible says that which was restrains, which I believe is the church and the Holy Spirit in you, when it's taken out, the Antichrist can come to power rapidly and do what he's going to do to this world. Finally, the world's going to get what they wanted, a world without God. And the Bible said it's not a fit place to live. You see, this is what happened. When you take God out of this world, you have chaos. This is what the generation of Noah was like. They had taken God out of their whole consciousness and everything. God shut the door. The door is open right now. Whosoever will may come. But I believe that door, just as it was there with Noah, is getting ready to close. And when it closes, then the Bible says the tribulation will begin and there'll be a judgment again on this earth. Now, verse 17 says, the flood was on the earth for 40 days. Waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed greatly, increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth until uh, above, uh, literally, and all the high hills under the whole heavens were covered and the water prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. So in other words, the water covered the entire earth above the highest mountain, 22 and a half feet. Pretty exact numbers here, actually. Now, you know what's weird about this? Of 200 cultures in the world, from the Hawaiian islands to, to um, the Druids to wherever, all speak of a universal global flood. 200 cultures speak of this in their in their in their history. All of them, they speak of this. And most of them, over 50% attribute it to wickedness on the earth. They uh, attribute it to one family being uh, one that survived. They speak of a boat that carried the people. So this is not some obscure, unknown thing. Now, what does the geological records show? It shows that on some of the highest mountains that they have examined, they find shell life up there. Why? How did it get up there? 
Well, the Bible here tells us the world was covered by a universal flood. Now, it wasn't just the rain as we talked about before last week, but it was, the Bible says, the wells of the deep broke open. We talked about this new water that's on the earth every year. Every year, there's one more cubic mile of water that's on earth than there was the year before. It just seeps out of the ground. But the wells of the deep, God, when he created the earth, no doubt created it with that capability of doing those things. And so when the rains came and the wells broke open, the water flooded the earth and went up above 22 and a half feet above the highest mountain. This is why we can reject the idea of it being a local flood. Well, it was just in the Mesopotamian area. Well, water seeking its own level. And as we'll read on here, this flood lasted for five months. It rained and the wells broke open for 40 days and 40 nights, but that was enough water to fill the earth. And it took, in fact, um, uh, They were five months floating and uh, seven months on top of the mountain uh, waiting for it to subside where they could get out. So it says, the waters prevailed and it says, and all flesh died that moved on, on the earth, birds, cattle, beasts, every creeping things that creeps on the earth, every man. And all those who in nostrils had the breath of the spirit of life, all that was in the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, birds of the air. And they were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Now, again, this is a spiritual blueprint, the way it works with God. Only those with God remain alive. Always remember, if you want to know where to go, always go to God. He's got the answers for what you need. That's one of the important things to always remember is that you know where to go when you're in trouble. You know, a lot of people that don't know God, they go all kinds of places for help. I shared this before. They, they uh, run to their friends. They run to their bottle. They run to their bong. They run to all kinds of things looking for somewhere to find some kind of reconciliation, some kind of peace where they'll help them cope with the stress and the pressure at hand. But the Bible tells us casting, Peter says, casting all your cares on him, he cares for you, how important that is. And so it tells us here, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Uh, So the earth was covered with water for a long time, but this was because God had become angry with the way man had become. Then God remembered Noah, verse 1 of chapter 8, and every living thing, all the animals that were with him on the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. And the fountains of the deep were, and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. And at the, at the end of the 150 days, the waters were decreased. And the ark rested in the seventh month, in the 17th day of the month on the mountain of Adarat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month 
The tenth month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So this is about two and a half months after they rested on the mountain. All of a sudden, the water started going down and you start seeing islands, but they were really the tops of mountains. And it came to pass that at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the windows of the ark, which he had made. And he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. So he'd send out this bird to do reconnaissance. It was his, uh, it was his uh, uh, reconnaissance plane, if you will. And he would send the bird out. And it says, he sent out for himself a dove to see if the waters have abated from the face of the ground. This was four months into uh, after they came to rest on top of the mountain. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned to the ark for him, and the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, took her, and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited another seven days, and again sent the dove out from the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening, and and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had abated from the earth. So as this was going down, things started growing again, and he saw this branch in her mouth. And so he realized that it was getting time to get ready to disembark. And it came to pass, oh, so he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which he did not return again to him anymore. So the dove just said, hey, I'm out of here. This is habitable. And it came to pass on the 600th and first year, first month, first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. So again, we find this now one year after it came to rest. The second month, the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. And then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your son's wives with you and bring out every living thing, all the flesh that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the creeping things, the things that creep on the earth, so they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, whatever creeps on the earth, according to the families, went out of the ark. Now this is a completely different world than when he went in. The Bible says before the flood, the earth was watered by a vapor, like a heavy mist. It never rained before. And the canopy around the earth was was ruptured. Now, some people believe there's different books that have been written on this where perhaps a meteorite or something caused the, the uh, smack the earth and caused the earth to crack and caused the water to come out. And because of that, ruptured the vapor canopy. We were like in a greenhouse before. Now it's a different environment. And by the way, we remember that after the flood, man's life was cut back. We used to live to be almost a thousand years old, but after the flood, man's life was continually cut back until the time of King David is about 70 years. And 
Yeah, I know some people go longer than that, but the Bible set the limit of humans at 120 years, and I don't know anybody that's gone longer than 120 years. So it's interesting that man's lifespan was shortened because of it. It seemed like the longer man lived on the earth, the more ways he could invent evil. So God just said, well, 120 years, that's it. And so it says that they went out of the ark and Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal, every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I destroy every living thing if I have done. While the earth yet remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. It's interesting that that, um, we find really the first mention of, of Define seasons here. Again, perhaps that vapor canopy uh, kept that away from it. Now, some people wonder what changed when that vapor canopy went away, when the x-rays and the gamma rays came in and we start getting sunburn and now we need, you know, sunblock 37 and all these different things. Well, they, they believe that before this flood, you didn't need any of that stuff. And, and as a matter of fact, there's organs on your body that aren't used. We don't really know what they were for. Your tonsils, they really don't know all the, the, the stuff about them. Your appendix, your gallbladder, of late, maybe the brain, I don't know. But, uh, you know, some of these organs that aren't used anymore, okay, we, we've set that on the shelf. And... No, but, but they attribute a lot of those organs to maybe longevity. And it may very well be if they weren't damaged by the ultraviolets and, and a different environment, we might still live to be a hundred or a thousand years old. Really, theoretically, science tells us there's no reason why you shouldn't live to be a thousand years old. But the problem is the body that you're in right now, you won't be in in seven years. All your, your body will have reproduced all the cells and you'll be in a different body in seven years than you are right now. If, if, if you live that long, you're not living another seven years, okay? But the problem is your cells do not reproduce fast enough to, pre- to prevent the aging process. If they could just go a little faster, then you wouldn't age. Well, that's what we find in this shortened lifespan that man has. Now notice here in chapter nine, so God blessed Noah, his sons, and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And the fear of you shall be the dread of you on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air and on all that move on the earth and on the fish in the sea, and they are given into your hand. Now it's interesting here that God put the fear of animals into humans at this point. Evidently before then you could, animals weren't scared of humans, but now that has changed. By the way, every time we move farther away from God, we lose more freedom. Isn't that weird? In in Christ Jesus, there's freedom. You'll find this in governments. The more godly a government is, the more freedom you have. You see, because you don't need laws to govern somebody that's self-governed. Our forefathers said, our government is really for the self-governed. 
It is completely inadequate for those who are not self-governed. In other words, whatever I think I can get away with is what I'm going to do. Our government really can't take care of those kind of people. But if you're self-governed, if you have that consciousness of God where I'm going to do unto others as I would have them do unto me and, and, and I respect one another, you see, that is the society in where we have a lot of freedom. But the more wicked a society becomes, the more laws have to be instilled on people to prevent them from acting irrationally. And this is what we find. The more, the farther any country goes away from God, the more laws have to be initiated to keep man living the way civilly you might say they're supposed to live. We can see that in our own land. Again, why do you have to have all these building codes? You know, I, I was really surprised. I was reading this earlier this morning, just going over it again. And I was thinking, Noah couldn't build his boat today. Do you know why? He'd have to get a building permit, supply, blueprints and all that kind of stuff. He couldn't build his boat. They say, well, <laughs> you know, now is this going to be powered or how are you going to electrify this? He would have all kinds of things, that he, hoops that he'd have to jump through. Again, the farther we go away from God, the more laws we have to have. This morning, just to ask you a question. If you're in Christ Jesus today, the Bible says you live in his freedom. You live in his abundance. When you're free, the Bible says you're free indeed. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're in bondage. You're in bondage to your desires. You're in bondage to your thoughts. You're in bondage to your friends. You're in bondage to the things of this world. Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. I pray this morning that you have had a relationship with God and that you have a relationship with God, that you would be a Noah in your generation to your circle of friends, that you would be one that would influence them and that God would work through you. And just as we read, thus Noah did according to all God had commanded him. I pray that that would be what God would say about you because the thing is, I know God's going to use you in a great and mighty way in a world, in a society that doesn't know him. This morning, the Bible tells us that today is the appointed day of salvation. You know, I know a lot of us can always try to put something off another day because that's the nature of man. What's the old saying? Never do today what you can do tomorrow. The problem is today is the appointed day of salvation. You see, we're, we, we don't know we're going to be alive tomorrow. And do you realize that when you become a child of God, God has his things that, you, that he wants you to do that you're going to have an eternal reward for. You see, when you become a child of God, God begins to speak to you again. And you begin to hear God's voice. And, and God uses you to reach out to a lost world. And you don't know how long this lost world is going to be around. Again, friends, if you do any research on the coronavirus, type it into your computer and look and see. There has never been anything they've said that they have seen that has spread this rapidly. And they're putting it on the same level of that flu that covered the world in the in the mid part of the early teens during the First World War. They said that that flu killed more people than the First World War did. There was really no cure for it. Right now, they really don't have a cure for this coronavirus. I don't know how serious, friends, this is going to get. But I do know this. As long as we're here, and as long as you're here, 
there is an opportunity for you to share your faith. You see, you're the Noah in your group. You're the Noah at your company. You're the Noah in your family. And to let your light shine and be about your father's business. Because tomorrow's not promised to anyone. You see, that's why, again, as we come together and we read God's word and we understand that God just doesn't have one Noah in the world. He's got a lot of Noahs, all of us. Now, God hasn't told me to build a boat. I'm sure God's not told you to build a boat either. But God has told us to let our light shine. Now, you might be here today or you might be listening and you might say, I, I, I have never turned my life over to God. I, I'm still living it my way. Let me ask you one simple question. Are you happy? Do you really say, boy, my life is satisfied? You can't do it because there's nothing in the world that will satisfy the ache in your heart for what God designed you for when he put you on this earth. If God's designed you to do a certain thing, it's like trying to use a light bulb for a hammer. You're not designed for these things that the world says is what you need to do to find happiness. It's not you're plugged into God that you're going to shine. You're going to do what God wants you to do this morning. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you never realize that, hey, God, I am a thousand miles from what you want me to do, then today's your day to come home to God. It's your day to say, okay, Lord, from this day forward, whatever time I have left, I'm going to give to you to be about your business. And God will use you in ways you never dreamed possible. You see, Noah saw the hand of God in his life. I believe as you study the scripture, anybody that turned their life over to God always saw the hand of God in their life. I've had people come up to me and say, well, why was... God's such a God of miracles in the Bible, and today we don't see a lot of miracles. I believe because most people don't live close enough to the edge as Christians to need a miracle. What do you need God to do? Well, you know, I've got an unsaved mom or dad or children or whatever it might be. God, I, I need a miracle from you. That's where God wants you. See, that's where you know that God did it rather than something else. We always like to attribute great things to all kinds of other things. Well, boy, you know, that was pure luck. No, if you're a Christian, you don't have luck. If you're a Christian, you are under divine direction from the King of Kings. And because of that, God wants you to be about his business so he can demonstrate through you his power. Yes, God is still in the miracle working business. And God wants to work a miracle through you today, this week, and the rest of your life. You say, but Mike, I want to live my life my way. I want to do what I want to do. Well, the problem is then you cut yourself off from the supernatural. What you do is you cut yourself off and you say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't know what God wants me to do because after all, it's all about me. You see, Noah recognized that it wasn't about him. It was about God. And as he served God, did what God wanted him to do, other people lived. Isn't that going to be great in heaven someday when God looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord? Rather than, yeah, you lived your life selfishly. What reward will you have? So I, I really, I believe, friends, that again, as we look at this and what the Bible tells us, 
You're a Noah. I'm a Noah. We're all Noahs divinely appointed for his purpose to do what God wants us to do. This morning, if you're not a Christian, though, you're living your life for yourself. And we're going to pray right now, and you can ask Christ to come into your life. You can say, Lord, I'm tired of living for myself. Only thing that really mattered is what I want, and I'm not happy. And I want you to do something new in my life. And the Bible says that if you will, he will reach out to you, meet you where you're at, restore you, heal you, and bless you. And you say, but Mike, if I accept Christ, I, I might mess up. Yeah, that's going to happen, as a matter of fact. And in fact, 1 John says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. In other words, you have a continual, you, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you retain him as your lawyer. That's a good thing. And he doesn't work for like $9,000 an hour. He's there for you right now where you can say, Lord, I messed up. Please heal me. And God, in his wonderful way of doing things, not only forgives you, but even the bad things we've done, he works for God's glory. I don't know how he does that. No other religion of the world even offers anything like that. They'll, as I've shared this many times, they'll say, well, to get right with God, go burn so many incense six. Go, go, go do so many charitable deeds. Uh, go uh, join this particular group of people or recite this mantra, or sell some flowers in airports. That might get you right with God. Well, Jesus made us right with God. But not only are we right with God, God says, now I'm going to restore you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to heal you. No religion does that. All religion, the very best they can do is tell you maybe how to get right with God, which is not really true, but nothing about restoration. Friends, I need to be fixed. I need to be restored. You see it in your car. Haven't you ever noticed cars need a lot of fixing? The tires wear out, you hit chuck holes, knocks the, you know, you're driving down, everything's good, and you hit this big old giant chuck hole that there's a Volkswagen bug in the bottom of, and you hit that, and it knocks the whole front end of, and now your steering wheel's like this. And you're going, oh, that's not good. Well, a lot of times in our Christian experience, we hit a lot of chuck holes, but you know, God is the master front end aligner, and he'll fix that. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord today, I'm telling you, there is no one fixing you. And you keep getting worse and worse and worse until you think you're steering wheel like this instead of like this. This is normal. No, it's not normal. Well, I've just learned to live with it. That's what people do in the world. They live with their sin and you don't have to anymore. We're gonna pray if you wanna ask Christ into your life. You can pray right now. Say, okay, Lord, I want to be a Noah to my circle of people. And God will bless you and provide for you. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I recognize I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood covered my sins. And so now, for the rest of my life, I want to serve you. Open up the doors. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. 
and thank you for eternal life that I pass from death unto life. I can live with you forever in Jesus' name. Amen.